Lord, help me. Your sinful and inadequate servant, but called by you and therefore a man of God, perfect in Christ, but in Christ alone. Give me to open my mouth with boldness, with clarity, with practical application. Fill me with your spirit that so by your word and spirit we may encounter the living word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our hearts and receive him by faith and make a fresh decision to live for you from this day forward. We need your help. We need your protection. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're looking at this ninth chapter of Daniel again, and you can see that actually this is the fifth sermon on this small section of Daniel 9. And what I want us to focus on today is the anointing of the Most Holy. What in the world did that mean? And if you read on the back of the bulletin, you can see that the heart of this prophecy is given in the very first verse. And would encourage you to take that bulletin home and write on bulletins. Uh, It's important. I find that when I write things, I remember them. You know, when I type on a computer, I don't remember nearly as well as when I write with my hand. And you know, when I write on a cell phone, I remember even less. That's why I like to get a new Bible every single year. Read through it with my straight edge and my marking pen, and I always find new things in the Bible. And I've been doing that since March 19, 1982. And it's been so enriching to mark things. The Bible, God's Word, is the most amazing book. It's full of treasures new and old. And every time you read it with a desire to know it and learn it, you will see new things. And so that's what I'm hoping we'll see today as we look at the anointing of the Most Holy. So turn with me, if you will, uh, to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2. And this is a very critical verse for many things. This is the first time Jesus cleansed the temple. Do you know that Jesus cleansed the temple later at the end of his ministry? roughly three and a half years later. But he cleansed it the first time here. And there's some interesting things. If you look at John 2, verse 20, page 1649, the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days. Now that is a significant thing. You see, the temple was destroyed on the ninth day of Av in the Jewish year. And it was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And the temple was rebuilt 70 years after it had been destroyed in 586. It was completed in 516 B.C. So the Babylonian captivity begins really with the death of Josiah, the last godly independent king of Judah, and climaxes in 539 B.C. when the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persians. 
And Cyrus the Great issued his decree that the Jews could return to their home. So there are two overlapping 70-year periods, and Jeremiah wrote about those, as you may recall. Now, so the temple is rebuilt in 516. But what are the Jews talking about here in verse 20? 46 years. There was a man who was a descendant of Esau as well as a descendant of Jacob. His name was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a conniving, cruel, megalomaniacal... Did he run for... No. He sought, he sought the backing of the Roman Empire to secure his place, and he got it because the Romans wanted client kings. Well, Herod, being very insecure because he knew that he was not entitled to be the king of the Jews, did his best to please the Jews. He went on a massive building program. And I remember when my son-in-law and I toured Israel in the year 2000, we saw some of what he did. He built Masada, for example. He made the port, Caesarea by the sea, to be a magnificent place. And he remodeled the temple. Has this church ever been remodeled? I think it has. And so he, he remodeled the temple. The, the structure of the temple was still in place, but he went into a massive building program, and we know from history that began in 19 B.C. Now, there's no one, there's no zero. So you've got to think here, roughly 20 years later, uh, we, we come to the first leg, and so then we, we're roughly here in the year 26 or 27 A.D. So Jesus cleanses the temple for the first time in 26 or 27 A.D. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was about 30 years old, and therefore he was born before Christ. It simply means that calendar people were off base when they tried to calculate the years. But if they had just followed this verse and followed the history of an eyewitness to the fall of Jerusalem, a Jewish general named Josephus, they would know exactly how old Jesus was when he began his ministry and when he began it. This is 26, 27 A.D. And that makes Jesus die on the cross in the year 30 A.D. Now, that's not the heart of the matter here. But now notice what's going on. Jesus has just driven out all of the money changers. Why did they have money changers? Well, you can't give that nasty, filthy lucre uh, to God. Because pagan money had things on it. What did pagan money have on it? It had the images of the Roman emperors, and that's an idol, because the Romans believed their emperors were gods, and so they had to have money changers. You've got to give holy money to God. Can you imagine that there would be people sitting right outside here changing your money into special coins that were acceptable to God? Wow. And they sold things because people are traveling, not just from, say, Nazareth in the Galilee, but from all over the Roman world. 
And they couldn't carry sheep and goats and other things to make their offerings. And so people were there to sell, give it to you wholesale. And uh, they were making a mint of money off of people. And that's what Jesus sees. And he drives them out. He overturns the table of the money changers. He drives out the animals. Jesus never struck any human being with a whip, but he used a whip he made out of rope to drive the animals out. You can crack a whip and an animal will move. You don't even have to touch it with the whip. So he drove them all out of the temple. Now, let me tell you, if you want to get people mad at you, where do you hit them? Hit them in the pocketbook. People will put up with all kinds of religious stuff, but don't mess with their pocketbook. And so they're, they're very angry in response. Verse 16, John 2, 16. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume him. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Now notice what Jesus said to them. This is very striking. This is very remarkable. He said, destroy this temple and, in three, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? Verse 21, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now this is very striking because what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about his earthly physical body. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal son of the eternal God. There never was a time that he didn't exist. He's always existed. He has always been God. He is eternally begotten of his father. So he is God along with the Holy Spirit and along with his father. But Jesus became something he had never been before. When the Lord Jesus Christ, by the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit, caused the Virgin Mary to become pregnant, at that moment, the moment of conception, God Almighty, the eternal Son of the eternal God, entered into the womb of the Virgin Mary and joined himself for all time to come with that one-celled organism. And so he who was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary is both truly human and truly God. Now, so what Jesus is speaking about here is his earthly human body. His body was like your body. What does your body do? Your body experiences pain. As we age, we experience more pain. That's why old age ain't for sissies. Jesus experienced pain. He experienced in his earthly human nature all of the things that you and I have ever experienced, including temptation, including very virulent, powerful pulls to sin. But he never sinned, and he did not have a sinful human nature. 
And so here he is, and he's referring to his own body. He says, destroy this body, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. He's referring to his earthly body. But there's more to it. Never forget, when you hear the words of Jesus in the gospel, almost always there's a double entendre. That is, there's another meaning. There's something hidden in it. And what he's really saying here, which his disciples came to understand is, when you destroy my earthly body by nailing me to a cross, and when I am buried, and when on the third day I'm raised from the dead... At that point, I am the new temple. Think about it for a moment. Let's see what, how Peter understood it as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's look at these words. 1 Peter chapter 2, page 1888. 1 Peter chapter 2, page 1888. And let's look here at verse 4. He says, as you come to him, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the living stone, the living stone, the living stone. Do you ever think about when you read the book of Numbers and you discover a rock that just seems to be there all the time? No matter where the Jewish people were in the wilderness, there's a rock there. And why Moses, when he hit that rock a second time, he was commanded the first time to hit the rock because Christ was appointed to suffer once for all for our sins. But when Moses lost his temper and struck that rock a second time, he was forbidden from that point to enter the promised land. That rock was Christ. That rock that followed them in the wilderness appeared under the form of an earthly rock. That rock was Christ. He's the living stone, says Peter in verse 4. He was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Now look at verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, now he's quoting from the 118th Psalm, if, if you look there, um, Psalm 118, verse 22. Well, no, I'm sorry. He's quoting from Isaiah. See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, notice again, verse 7. Now, to those who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, now he quotes from the 118th Psalm, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which also is what they were destined for. I want you to reflect for a few minutes on what we've just read. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the rock. He's the foundation. The Lord Jesus Christ asked Peter at Caesarea Philippi, not Caesarea by the sea. Who do men say that I am? And Peter finally says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. 
You know, there's a truth here. On the 17th day of July in the year of our Lord, 2022, flesh and blood can't figure out the scripture. Flesh and blood can't figure out fundamental basic truth. Truth is revealed. Truth is caught rather than taught. And the Holy Spirit revealed to Simon Peter that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Now they were standing at the temple of Pan at the base of Mount Hermon. And Jesus speaks about a rock. He says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. He's referring to himself. Jesus Christ is the rock on which the church is built. And yet Peter is also part of that because he too is a rock. And guess what? As I look out here, I see two living stones behind me. And I look here and I see living stones all over the place. Who are you? You are a living stone in the temple that God is still building. You remember that the temple took a long time to build? You remember that it was built under Solomon? You remember that it's rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity? And then you remember in the words of John 2, it had been in a building program for 46 years. Do you know that even after King Herod the Great died, the building continued on and it was only finished shortly before the Romans destroyed it in 70 AD on the ninth day of Av of the Hebrew calendar? Do you understand that there's a better temple? That that temple was a temple that was made with earthly hands. That temple, what, temple was a shadow. It was a type. It was a foreshadowing. Just as you can see, no you can't because there are too many lights, but you can see a shadow that's cast. I want you to understand that that magnificent temple of Solomon and the even more magnificent temple reconstructed under the Herod the Great was simply a shadow. But the substance is the Lord Jesus Christ. Why not take the whole book of Hebrews and read through it and mark it this afternoon? Because Hebrews tells us this in no uncertain terms. Jesus is the temple, and you and I are in that temple. And I want you to understand something, that from the day of Pentecost in 30 AD, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people of God, something has been going on. God has been building this temple. You and I are part of it. And this says many things to us. Let's look back here at what he says. He says that in verse 5, 1 Peter 2, 5, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. He doesn't mean a figure of speech. He doesn't mean a metaphor. He means the work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. That's the bottom line. But the Holy Spirit is still at work today, building the temple. And you and I are part of that temple. The temple is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The largest earthly structure of ancient times I've ever seen was the Great Pyramid of Giza. And my wife and her sister and I climbed up inside of it in 2008. But you know what? This temple 
is unimaginably huge. If you look at the book of Revelation, don't need to turn there, that temple is so, so gigantic that it extends way into outer space. See, that's the church that God sees. You and I look here this morning and we see a small number of people. And we're tempted to look back on better days when we had that part over there open and where people filled this sanctuary. We're apt to look back to those, quote, glory days. But you know what? You ain't seen nothing yet. If you could see this church as it really is, which is a cluster of stones gathered with other stones, First Baptist, other churches in this town, we're part of it. We're all part of the same body of Christ. The body of Christ is the temple, and God's still building it, and it's going to get bigger, and it's going to get better. That's the point here. Now, notice what he says in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What's he talking about? The United States? No, the United States is an unholy nation. We're just as unholy as Russia and Ukraine and France and England. There are no nations that are holy except one nation, and that's the people of God. I'm so glad I belong to a new nation. I'm so glad I belong to a nation that in the eyes of God is perfect, holy, without sin, without flaw. Because when God looks at you and me, the members of this nation... He doesn't see our sinfulness, our shortcomings, our wickedness. He sees us through Christ. The blood of Christ causes him to see no sin in you and me. He's still building it. Notice, he says, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, if you look back at your life, you can see many things of darkness. I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus Christ began to convict me of sin and began to draw me to himself. And on September 4th, 1964, I committed my life to him. My life was changed. Didn't mean I was perfect, but I was changed. Before that, I couldn't understand the Bible. Before that, I couldn't understand life. Before that, I couldn't understand much of anything. Because it's not through intellect, it's through the Holy Spirit who calls us out of darkness into light. And then he says in verse 10, once you were not a people. You know, those are words that were addressed to Israel in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea. And he applies them to Gentiles and Jews today. And he says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And now I want you to turn to one other passage of Scripture, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God is building his temple. He hasn't completed it yet. He's still doing it. You know, I had a wonderful privilege. Yesterday morning, my wife and I got up very early, and we joined a group of people at, the, at one of our high schools, Peabody Magnet High School. And we arrived, and there were other pastors there, including the man who succeeded me at Grace in Alexandria, including my dear friend, Raymond Franklin, and, and Raymond had put this on. Why? Because he knows that Alexandria, Louisiana, is one of the murder capitals of the United States. 
And our schools are very subject to violence there. And so we did a prayer walk around one whole school, Peabody High School. And then we walked down the street to the magnet school, Arthur C. Raymond Middle School, another magnet school. And when we walked in there, we met the principal, Mrs. Ford. What a wonderful, gracious Christian lady. And how she tries to have a Christian influence in one of the public schools in Alexandria. Why? Because black kids are killing each other. And they take shots, random acts of violence, as we were going back to where our car was parked. Pastor Franklin, who is, a, who is an earned doctorate and works for the school system, bivocationally, as a counselor, said, Do you know, you see that spot over there? He said, right after graduation. Not at graduation. Right after graduation. Two young men were shot and killed. Violence. You know, violence is just destroying our cities. We had a privilege of doing a prayer walk. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? We want to see God's temple built in the what is generally called the African-American part of Alexandria, Louisiana. What about doing a prayer walk around this church? What about doing a prayer walk around our schools? You know what? God wants to build His temple. He wants to establish His temple bigger and better, more and more and more. So now we are looking, finally, at page 1774, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. By the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. You see, the, it's not just an analogy. When St. Paul went and established churches throughout Asia Minor and in Greece and in Macedonia and even in Rome and probably in Spain and in Malta, when he was doing that, what was he doing? He was laying stones to build God's temple. It's a glorious picture of the church, a temple that's still being built, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. He says, but each one should be careful how he builds. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the heart of prophecy as we saw last week. Jesus is the one who took away our sins as we saw the previous week. Jesus is the one who builds the temple because the church is built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ along with the apostles and prophets. He's still building. Now notice what he says. Something else. Verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire for the fire will test the quality of each man's work. What is he saying here? You know what matters in life? Would you like to be a millionaire? Would you like to be a billionaire? Be honest. I got plenty of nothing and nothing's plenty for me. That's what Porgy said. 
What really matters? What matters for our children? What is the cry that Sandy and I lift up to God every single day? It's for our five children, our five children-in-law, and our 14 grandchildren to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if they succeed in everything else and don't know the Lord, and we won't see Him in eternity, that to me is the ultimate tragedy of life. Build on it. So we can look at work. You can look at the work of a preacher, for example, and say, well, look at the fruit of his ministry. Well, I will tell you something. What you see with the eyes and what God sees sometimes are radically different. He speaks about people who built on that foundation with gold and silver and precious stone. What's true of those? They're not destroyed by fire. They last. But then we see people building on using wood and hay and straw. They can throw up a structure really, really fast, and it's very impressive. We live in a day where American marketing has destroyed the Christian church. And you know what's wrong with it? You can't test it in this world what it's really like, whether it's a true church or whether what that man is built on is simply an edifice to his ego. Things can be powerfully effective, can really dazzle you. It's not just politicians that deceive. Preachers deceive. But he's not talking here about somebody going to hell. Look at what he says. He says that it's going to be revealed because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now look at verse 14. This isn't about losing your salvation. If you have ever been born again, you cannot lose your salvation. Verse 14, if what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. You can't get a reward in this life. Why? Because nobody can measure in this life. But now notice, verse 15, but if, it's, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What does that mean? I don't want at the end of my life, hoping it'll be another 20 years, if I could walk. I don't want at the end of my life to look back over what I thought was successful and doing the work of God, only to discover that I was building an edifice to myself that's consumed by fire. But you know what? I'm still going to be in heaven. I'm still going to walk the streets of gold. But now notice verse 16. This is very important to understand correctly. And he says there, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? You are. What's he talking about here? Is this a verse about not smoking, not drinking, not eating sugar? Your sugar is one of the most harmful things you can put in your body. It really is. Is this about a low-fat diet or a high-fat diet or getting rid of all of those seed oils that poison you, like cottonseed oil that make your food taste so rich? Is that what it's about? Is it about making sure that you sometimes walk 15 miles a day, as my wife does? Is that what it's about? Is it about, and we want everybody to come, even if you didn't bring any food. There is ton, There are tons of food back here. Everybody, please come. We're going to have a little fellowship 
in a few minutes. Is this about not having that fifth piece of fried chicken? You know, Daddy's sister died at the age of 102 and a half. She was overweight, ate a lot of fried chicken. Is that what this is about? Look at what he says. He says in verse 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Verse 17, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him because God's temple is sacred. You are that temple. What's he saying? He's talking about false teachers. He's talking about people that build on a foundation other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There are cults, dear one. There are cults in this world. I never will forget when I had become a new Christian and I used to sing for a living. And I had my neighbor ask would I sing in, in her, uh, in her uh, church. And when I was going to sing the Holy City, she said, oh, we can't have that song in our church. I said, why is that? Because it talks about the blood. The blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a false church. And the founder of that church wrote a book entitled, and it had within it the key. The key. She had the key to the science of living. But it was all the science of mind. Listen, America is bedeviled with false teaching. Turn on the TV, much of what you're going to get is false. TV's expensive, and to stay on TV, you've got to raise a lot of money. What does he mean here about destroying the temple? He means a false teacher who comes in and denies this book says it's not really to be trusted. I remember so well a man by the name of Jim Jones. Jim Jones once took the Bible and threw it out of the pulpit and said, too many of you people are looking at this and not at me. You know what that man did? He stole their welfare checks. And then he took them down to a place on the northern coast of South America, Guyana. And he established his city there. And in the very end, he went totally nuts. He was a demonized man. And he got everybody to drink poison Kool-Aid. And they did it. Why? Listen, that wicked man was an egomaniac, a megalomaniacal man, greedy for power and sex and money. He was a false teacher. He built on another foundation. He is in hell. Make no mistake about it. He is in hell. Because anyone who destroys God's temple, God will destroy. So again, it's not a verse about how you live, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise, don't eat it too much fried chicken. Don't. It's about false doctrine. And there is some doctrine that is so deadly false that it will take you to hell. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Closing, a couple of thoughts. Number one, if you're not in a church that preaches the gospel, get out of it. Number two, if you are in a church that preaches the gospel, stick with it. Because these stones aren't just cast away like you're walking down 
a dirt path and you see a stone here and a stone there. These stones are knit together into a spiritual house. You need other people. The damnedest thing about COVID-19, and I said that very seriously, the damnedest thing about COVID-19 was getting Christians no longer to meet with each other. Because we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Let's commit to that. May we pray. Lord, would you bless this message about the importance of the local church, but not to make an idol of it. Lord, to realize that sometimes churches go so far away from truth as to be apostate, as no longer truly to be a Christian church. Lord, we don't want to be part of that. Lord God, help me. Would you strike me dead before I ever begin to preach or teach doctrine that strikes at the fundamentals, the essentials of the Christian message? Lord, would you grant that I will always be faithful to explain and apply your word? Because no other foundation can a man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen.